I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Joe Fullman, head of marketing at The Onion and Onion Incorporated. Today on the show, we talk about the history of The Onion and its properties today, which include AV Club and Clickhole, as well as the primary property, The Onion, how humor is so powerful in what it is that they do. We talk about content marketing and Joe's three Ds of content marketing. And you don't want to miss our conversation about the future of marketing um, and creativity and how The Onion is investing millions of dollars in joke writing robots. Well, Joe, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you very much. Happy to be on. So I'm jealous. Uh, how'd you make your way to the head of marketing at The Onion, a place I've always wanted to work? Uh, it's a place that I've always wanted to work, too. Um, I mean, I have been reading The Onion since I was literally a, a kid. And, you know, I think my route to entertainment marketing is probably different than a lot of people. My resume is probably a little bit more eclectic than than most of my peers in the industry. but Working for or with or at advertising agencies has been sort of a through line in my career. Um, I was back in New York working as a planning director um, at Arnold when I saw an ad for a job at The Onion 
um, in the middle of the night and decided to, you know, submit a resume. It was a, a lateral move that paid way less and required moving to Chicago, a city I never really intended on living in. But in retrospect, it was a great decision. Um, I've been here about two years. It's probably one of the best decisions I've ever made because I have a job that like 15-year-old me would have thought was pretty logical, sort of fits some of the things that I'm interested in um, and also takes advantage of, you know, skills that I've built that actually uh, are, are paid for by someone. Great. Great. Well, so tell, tell us a little bit more about um, Onion Inc. I'm very familiar with the Onion brand masthead, if you will, but um, I, I have I'm not as familiar with some of the other brands in the portfolio, like AV Club and Clickhole. Sure. Um, the the Onion was founded around 30 years ago um, in 1988 in Madison, Wisconsin, uh, where most giant media corporations are are founded. <laughs> um, teeming teeming metropolis of Madison, Wisconsin. And it was founded by uh, a couple of college students, and uh, you know it was a local, local rag um, for the first couple of years. AV Club came a few years later in 1996. Started out as really the Onions AV Club, just a supplement within the the paper, and it, it was part of the rise really of the Onion brand to national prominence. It, you know, the Onion was one of the first uh, alt weeklies to really get to a national distribution level. At its peak, I think over 30 markets had a, a local version of The Onion. And the, the brand just kept growing and growing. You know, in 2013, we you know made the decision to move operations here to Chicago, as well as to sort of refocus the company on the fastest growing parts of, of what we do. So we, you know, stopped printing a print newspaper and it started making a bunch of branded content. So we started Onion Studios, which is sort of the kind of key moneymaker within, within our operations today, um, creating content for brands and uh, started thinking about ourselves more as sort of a content studio than a, you know, traditional publisher trying to create media inventory. So our our business is really now much more focused on sort of the the creative piece than just sort of fulfilling on uh fulfilling on media plans even though that's still probably you know the biggest piece of of what we do uh from you know occupying our time the 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 most profitable part of what we do has really been focusing on on creating content for brands um and in that quest to be you know the 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 perfect advertising partner we started uh clickhole um in in 2013 uh with uh jack links the launch part launch partner and beyond just creating more advertising inventory clickhole you know does some stuff that the onion was not able to do speak in a different voice make sort of jokes that a newspaper wouldn't make as well as parody you know forms new forms that have become more popular as uh, you know, sites like BuzzFeed or Vice or Upworthy have kind of come to supplant a lot of the old media companies that The Onion is built as a, a parody of. So 
across the three brands, we do some stuff that is funny as well as some stuff that is, is you know, uh, journalistic, critical. Um, and, you know, the, the three companies now fit into the larger portfolio of the Fusion Media Group. So in 2016, in January, we were acquired or a portion of our company was acquired by uh, Univision. Um, and in Univision put us into a group along with Fusion, which is a, um, which is a broadcast uh, cable channel. Mm-hmm as well as the former Gawker Media uh, Group properties, now Gizmodo Media Group. And, you know, across the the larger portfolio, there's a bunch of interesting opportunities that kind of build on some of the changes we started in 2013. Kind of gives us the scale, though, to to really compete um, in a way that, that, you know, on our own, we were never able to do. But, but you know, the, the Onion, the, the AV Club, and ClickHole are great because as brands that have been around for, you know, now almost 30 years, um, we, we have that sort of institutional legacy that I, I think a lot of digital companies do not, digital publishers do not. Tell me a little bit more about the Onion Studios. What type of content are you creating? Is it, I mean, I'm sure there's written form, but are you doing other forms of content as well? Yeah, I would say the vast majority of what Onion Studios does is actually video. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the shift to video was another thing that sort of happened in that same period of time between, I guess, 2013 and 2015. The, the production department is probably the biggest unit of what we do. We have a 10,000 square foot soundstage here in Chicago um, and produce all sorts of stuff from on the studio side, which is our originals, long form original side, you know, 20, 30 minute shows mm-hmm. um, all the way down to the quickest Instagram video uh, content types that, that you can imagine for ClickHole and for, for The Onion and, and, and everything in between. But specifically in the context of Onion Studios, produce a lot of 15s, to be honest. A lot of 15s that would run on our site, sometimes that don't ever see any of our sites, some, some specifically for broadcast. Uh, create a lot of branded content like shorts. Some of those support a campaign that might come to life on our sites. I would say that's probably the case more often than not, but not always. Uh, you know, uh, our work really spans a lot of different forms, a lot of different formats, and in it's really you know the scale of creating across the needs of our brands, um, editorial brands, as well as the needs of advertisers, it gives us like enough manpower, enough specialization within the team, enough resources within the company to really be able to t- tackle any kind of challenge when it comes to production. And that's been super freeing, freeing for the, the editorial teams to just be able to kind of go wild with an idea and, and use, you know, mostly in-house crews, mostly in-house directors, producers. And, and, you know, be, be able to bring that to life. And, and then, you know, on the lab side, it, it is really that same freedom to, to do that kind of work for an advertiser. Um, and, you know, coming from the agency world, I think that's one of the biggest things that, that separates us from, from an ad agency in the traditional sense. You know, we are able to really do everything soup to nuts uh, to create, you know, a broadcast spot. Um, sometimes, you know, 20, 30 broadcast spots in a month, uh, though, though that's not generally the, the timeline we're looking for. We have 
we have the scale, we have the the manpower, we have the expertise to to be able to pull something like that off very very quickly um, without needing to turn to you know five or ten different production companies, directors, etc. Well, now you know this. Obviously, humor is extremely powerful. Do you think that it's humor in itself that's the uh, so to speak not so secret success of the Onion and its properties? Yeah, I I think that humor is a is you know, definitely the the thing that has made the Onion name successful over the past thirty years. But but really, more than humor, even it's it's consistency. You know, so mm-hmm. from from that perspective, you know, I think in the last thirty years, you can think of you know half a dozen comedy brands that have come to life and did what they were going to do, and the form has kind of died away or they're doing something slightly different now. The Onion is remarkably consistent. You know, it, we never start with the question, you know, it, will a reader like this? Is this something that, that people want to hear? It, it's always asking, you know, has this been done? Is this too insidery? In, you know, balancing those, you know, sets of questions, we end up in a place where we can really you know, innovate when it comes to content without having to, you know, change the form too quickly. It's essentially a a really conservative institution from a creative standpoint, because there are, you know, formats that we've had since the early days of print that are still going strong, formats of jokes, formats of of features within the paper. I think that the ability to, to iterate sometimes for decades on a single format has, has been something that's, you know, super valuable. And and I think, you know, though we've been in the video business in some way, shape or form since we launched our first show back in 2007, I believe, you know, we, we have, we are just kind of getting to the place where we're starting to see, you know, similar formats really start to play out over those same long periods of time. And, and that's where, you know, a lot of, of the, the great sort of iconic work that The Onion has done really happens. I think about, you know, a format like Film Standard uh, with Peter K. Rosenthal. It's a, a, a joke that has been you know, going on for, you know, almost a decade now. And, and it really owes to the fact that, you know, it is strong enough to, to carry a, a, a decade worth of, of joke making. So publishing is a tough business these days. Um, and I know you're diversifying, obviously, we've talked about a little bit of that. But how is the onion approaching those challenges? You know, whether that's new ways to generate revenue or work with partners and brands. What are you guys doing? Uh, yeah, uh, the the so publishing is definitely a super tough business. I think that most publishers who have sort of stuck to the meat and potatoes of of media sales are either dead or dying at this point. I mean, it, there's not an easy way to fill, you know, mid 90s, <laughs> fill the gap that mid 90s print advertising would leave in the balance sheet of any publication. So everybody's had to change in in some way. It's kind of interesting how everybody's gone off in different directions. I think about, you know, companies we think of as competitors, and they all have, you know, much more diverse business models versus each other than if you had looked at media companies that would be competing similarly in in any other decade of the 20th century. So everybody's sort of specializing in different areas. We have a couple of areas that I think, you know, have have been bigger bets for us 
think the first is scale. So uh, about a year ago, we launched Onion Reach Network, um, which is a group of, I think, about 35 or 40 different sites now that make their inventory available for direct buys through Onion Inc., through FMG. And a lot of that supports, you know, sponsored content, but can also support editorial initiatives we have going on. So that's helped us sort of move into a, a, a bigger, into a bigger pond, so to speak, um, as has really just being acquired by a, a, a media mega conglomerate like Univision Communications. So Univision is a giant company with many TV stations and radio stations. And, you know, we are a teeny tiny piece of, of what they do. But just being a teeny tiny piece has made us much, much larger. So, um, you know, together with the, the Gizmodo Media Group team, who we work super close with, we're able to bring campaigns to life on a, on a scale that, you know, rivals the biggest media company when, when we have a call for it. The, the second thing we do is really something I've already talked about a little bit, which is moving up the value chain. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Onion was never creating ads or very rarely creating ads when we were a print newspaper for print newspapers, right? So, right. so we were not a studio. That, that wasn't something we really did. But Onion Labs, you know, is a big part of creating the content that runs on our website, the, the, the ad content that runs on our website. Sometimes that takes formats that are sort of familiar to people that read The Onion. They look like Onion content, but as often as not, it's stuff that looks completely different or stuff that would be, you know, too out there for sort of the rules of what goes in The Onion. Um, but, but that content has been very successful for us. I would say that's probably, you know, Onion Labs probably touches 70 to 80% of our revenue. Which isn't to say it's all creative fees, but but you know they're involved in in all of our biggest deals, and and that's been a you know tremendously powerful thing for us to to be able to sort of vertically integrate in that process and to sell um, an advertiser on an idea rather than than sort of the the audience itself. And then the third I'd say is creating a library of original content. So you know we've been you know, making shows since um, ONN back in the mid-2000s for IFC, for Comedy Central, more recently for Go90 and for AOL. And, you know, a lot of this content isn't just stuff that we would think about, think about, you know, immediate revenue from. It's it's stuff that has, you know, a, a larger annuity value, can be useful in a lot of different formats you know, sort of re-edited, modularly deployed in all sorts of different platforms. So that's an exciting new part of our business and uh, and a challenging one as well um, because it's very different to, to, you know, market a TV show versus to marketing a piece of editorial content. Right. Um, and then the last is, I think, really, you know, content marketing itself. So thinking through how we distribute content to get the, the most out of it, whether we're, you know, thinking about how to save money while fulfilling a, an invoice uh, that a, we have from an advertiser, um, you know, thinking about smart, smart distribution of a sponsored video or sponsored article, something like that, or whether we're thinking about 
you know, getting more out of our investments in whether it's long or short form content, how do we get the most out of that? Just being smarter about content marketing. And in the time that I've been here, we've come a long way. We've built a team of specialists in distributing this content. Um, we have a lot of job functions that just didn't exist uh, before last year. And that's really helped us sort of break through to the, the next level as far as getting the most out of the investments and in content that we've already made or that we've made in the past. Like we, we've, you know, been able to claw back a fair amount of revenue in the past year or two just from, you know, deploying our archive videos um, on the social networks and monetizing them that way. So it, it's a lot of base hits that sort of together are, are a powerful part of our business when, when you look at what, where we've gone with content marketing. That's great. So I know you're obviously the head of marketing and a publisher and you have to be an expert at content marketing. So how are you, how do you think about that? Do you, how do you break it down? So we are, we are sort of fans of this idea uh, that we call the three D's mm -hmm. um, and the three D's uh, of, of content marketing, if you will, are deconstructed planning, distributed content and derivative content. And, you know, it's an approach that kind of stretches across both editorial and sponsored content distribution. The basic outline is that by starting with a deconstructed plan, starting with the goal that you have for a piece of content, whether that is, you know, a, a distribution threshold, um, whether that is, you know, reaching some kind of you know, qualitative metric that, that we're going to go after with Nielsen or some other partner, whether it is is really, you know, hitting a, a CPV goal, if we're thinking uh, content in platform, it, 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 whatever that is, we, we start with, you know, what is the number that we have to hit or what are the numbers that we have to hit to, to feel like this was a success? And, and, you know, in content marketing, that is rarely super straightforward. It isn't like how many you know, how many uh, gallons of Tide have disappeared from the shelves. It's usually something way, way farther down the, the, the path than that, but uh, or way farther up the funnel than that, I should say. Right. Um, but but that's, there are still, you know, a, a lot of important insights to be gleaned from having a good idea about what you actually want. And that's not something that I think you know, universally, uh, you know, whether it's media agencies or brands directly are actually 100% clear on when they start an engagement. So that's been something we've tried to get brands to focus a lot on is, is what exactly are you looking for? And then when we have that, that KPI, we, we sort of work backwards to what is the content that we need? What are the, the teams that we need to have in place to support those goals? And, and that's what helps us get to a distributed content plan usually. And the, the idea there just being that we will go for the easiest, the easiest, best option in, in every instance, which, which seems very obvious, but it wasn't the way that we were distributing content before, I would say, about a year ago. So we have a belief that a view is a view is a view. So, you know, a, a view. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Um, on Vine, RIP Vine, um, is, is worth the same to us as a view on Facebook is worth the same to us as a view on YouTube is worth the same to us as a view on site. That's not to say that, you know, the monetization opportunities are the same in all of those places. So there are decisions that we would make, you know, based on monetization opportunities separate from video views, but we're, that's sort of where this idea of deconstructed planning becomes so valuable is when you get to building your distributed content plan, um, you, you are aware of whether you're really looking to make the biggest impact overall or whether you're looking to recoup more of your investment or whether you're looking to you know, compress the time frame of a campaign. You, you have some clarity in your approach to content distribution by, by approaching the question with, with such clear goals. And then the third piece is derivative content. Um, and again, derivative content seems like a very obvious thing, but it isn't something that always happens if you don't plan for it. Um, for us, derivative content is, you know, making sure that we've designed each uh, asset that we create in a way that can be either smushed together with something else or broken apart into a bunch of different pieces. So, um, you know, we, we try to think of uh, like an intro, a an A, a B segment um, in every video. We try to think within each written type, you know, how could we deploy this um, in different forms, whether that is a, in a, you know, slideshow video, whether that is, you know, in, in some kind of email feature, some kind of interactive feature. Um, we, we try to put that like lens of planning on content before we actually, you know, go ahead and, and commission something, go ahead and ask for something from our teams. Um, because that gives us then, you know, sometimes an extra 30, 40, 50% of our content. It lets us play on different channels since obviously what works really well on Instagram isn't necessarily going to work on Facebook, much less, you know, work on, uh, on a channel like Twitter. Um, and, and I would even say, you know, looking at what does well on Instagram, it isn't exactly the same as what does well on Snapchat. And a lot of that comes down to, you know, how content is consumed in channel, how content is really discovered is probably the biggest factor, but, but having a really firm idea of 
what you're trying to get, how you're going to get there in terms of, of channels, in terms of investment, and then what you have to play around with gives us this uh, view of, of um, what, what our campaign is going to be in real time that has been very powerful for us um, as a company. So what, you know, what tips or maybe suggestions do you have for marketers out there? I think there's a lot struggling with content marketing in particular. Yeah, I would say that don't you you should not be afraid to do stuff that seems like it will only barely work. Um, <laughs> I you know I I think that that is something that holds back a lot of agency side marketers because there isn't a clear um, there isn't a clear value in creating work that could get you into a review. You know, that there, there isn't clear value to, you know, investing a lot of time and a lot of money into something that, that could blow up in your face. And I think a lot of great ideas don't happen for that reason. And a lot of really stupid ideas end up getting produced for exactly that reason. So I would say that, you know, if, if something seems marginal, there needs to be some kind of structure in, in your you know, evaluation rubric for different ideas that, that allows for real experimentation. Um, and if there isn't room to do that, if you have to, because of the way that you're managing budget, the way that you're looking at work, have to think about, you know, a single thing popping out of that grid at the end of the day. I, I think it's like going back to that, that process and saying, am I doing this? Am I doing this the right way? Right? Like if I can't take a risk, and try something at a relatively, you know, modest scale. What is what is wrong with this picture? You know, what what am I doing in a way that that doesn't actually farther the the aims of the the brands that I work for? Um, because that that is oftentimes, you know, the the stuff that not only you know potentially wins awards or is you know, transformative with a capital T. It, it's the stuff that um, it's the stuff that ends up being you know, powerful as the, the sort of rules of the game shift. So for us, I would, you know, use the example of slightly longer formats of video. A year ago, there was really very few, there were very few venues that, that would allow us to monetize that content. And today we have ad break from Facebook. We have a, a great relationship with the Amplify team at Twitter, um, all of which sort of if not rely completely on having content that is in that two to three minute range, it, it's stuff that definitely benefits from having, you know, content in that two to three minute range. It, it, and that, that was the opposite of the advice that we were getting from everybody <laughs> at this time last year. And it was really not what we saw working, but we kept on investing in feature types, content types that we thought made comedic sense, that, that we thought had some future value. And eventually the, the marketplace found a, a way for us to, to really work with those. And, and now we've got those content types in place. So, you know, being consistent over the sort of longer term is, is something that comes from, you know, having an appetite for experimentation, having an appetite for relative failure um on an ongoing basis i like that i like the experimentation and just don't be afraid to try 
sentiment. So, you know, one of the things I like to do when I'm talking to folks is try to get a little sense of who the person is I'm talking to. And I, it always, you know, leads us in different directions. So in that vein, I wanted to ask you the question I love asking, which is, you know, what moment in your life do you think defines who you are today? Uh, well, similar to the, you know, serendipity of trying something that may not work. Uh, I, I think back to, you know, having just gotten out of school, I was living in New York. Um, it was the end of the summer and the end of my lease. And I was a few days away from packing all of my stuff into a moving van and, uh, driving back to Cincinnati to live with my parents. Um, and I was, you know, desperate for any kind of job. I definitely had no ambition to work in marketing. Um, in fact, I was ambitious to not work in marketing. <laughs> I was like really looking to do something that, that seemed cool. Uh, and in marketing didn't seem super cool, but I, I answered a, I answered a, job post on Craigslist to interview at a children's shoe store in the West Village. And after getting that booked, I went in for uh, the interview, which went disastrously poorly. Um, like I, I was just like clearly not qualified to sell children's shoes. Um, and uh, there was coincidentally another a uh, job on Craigslist that was like two blocks away at an ad agency um, working as the like lowest level, lowest level, you know, rower in the, the you know, long ship at, at an agency called Greater Than One doing healthcare marketing, doing SEO was never something that I thought I would be inter interviewing for, never thought it would be something I'd be interested in. But Around a year later, I had moved into a strategy role, found an aspect of advertising that I found, you know, very interesting. And the, the rest has sort of been history. I think, you know, just not getting the job at the shoe store really sent me <laughs> down the, the, the path that I've been on uh, since then. Well, I love the ironic nature of you weren't capable of selling shoes to, for children but you were capable of doing SEO and search yeah. engine marketing. <laughs> I, well, yeah. I, I mean, I had a mustache in their defense, so uh, like, I might have, it might have skeeved <laughs> them out a little bit, but I see. Uh, I still think I would have been okay at selling shoes, but we will never know. Okay, okay. Well, you know, kind of building on that, what motivates you or drives you to, to do what you do now? Um, I, I think that it's a much easier question to answer now that I'm not on the agency side and working on cholesterol drugs and truck transmissions at the same time. Right. Um, I had, I serve a, a much more singular master in, in the brands that, that I have in, in, you know, my portfolio. So I think it's a desire to serve the institution of the onion. I think even above and beyond the brand of the onion, um, the Onion is something that is almost as old as I am, and that is, and it's something that's like innately precarious. You know, a couple years of doing things the wrong way could kill the onion. So, you want to make sure that you are keeping 
the company on the right path, you know, putting it on a on a pathway to growth, putting it, you know, in good stead within the greater portfolio that Univision owns, and to serve the the people who create all the content, serve the writers, serve the art team, serve the production team. I think is is a marketer we as a marketing organization we are are unique within the company in that we are really a customer service role to everyone else right we're trying to get their content out in front of as many people as we can we're trying to create strategic revenue for them so that they can follow crazy ideas like you know whether it's patriot hole from from clickhole where they decided to turn into a right wing right-wing news blog for a couple of days or the trump docs which was this big multi-month project to put together over 700 pages of um quote-unquote leaked documents from the trump administration that that launched about a week ago it, it, it's stuff like that that you know it, it it isn't easy to distribute that stuff it isn't easy to make that feel like a, a huge success because they're ephemeral in, in the way that we release them. They aren't going to be ongoing feature types like the majority of the stuff that we do, but they they have a, a, a lot of meaning for both the writers and, and the creative people, as well as for our fans. So trying to make those feel as big as possible is, is super important to us. I think making sure that... Um, Making sure that the the years that I spend at the Onion are years that people in the future, future me's, look back on as you know having moved the company um, in the right direction. I think marketers are typically students of the business. So I'm curious, you know, what um, brands or, or companies do you follow, or you think others should be taking notice of? You know, I I think a lot about uh, working in the media about the value of of the media itself. I think we are living in a period of time when media is as powerful as it has ever been before, despite social media, despite sort of a backlash against its its sort of influence. The the media has a super important role to play in in dictating, you know, what we talk about, what gets shared online. And specifically, you know, high quality news is something that is is largely under threat. I wouldn't say it's just, you know, fake news in the, you know, context of of uh current politics, but you know, the integrity of, of news in general. I think what Facebook has done recently in launching the news integrity initiative, um, with the Tau Center and CUNY and the Knight Foundation is one of the the coolest things that's happened in the past few years. I know Google, I know Twitter have answers to this as well. Um, but the the way that Facebook is tackling this, putting human journalists in in the seat of deciding, you know, whether something is is worthy of wide distribution or not, is a super valuable super valuable task that will improve the ecosystem for news distribution will make the user experience of Facebook better, but will also sort of benefit the highest quality publishers out there. You know, I think, you know, people ask us oftentimes, you know, 
are you worried about the News Integrity Initiative because you guys are fake news? And I'm putting that in air quotes. You can't see it. Right. But, um, right. We are not really fake news, right? There's a, a grain of truth. There's something at the, the, the sort of center of everything that we do that is a, a like an eternal truth that we are, are sort of getting at with a headline. And, and even if the headline is a joke, you know, that joke is, is about something real. And a lot of effort, a lot of love goes into all of those jokes. I, I don't think that as you sort of move down the, the quality ladder into other types of publishers, a publishers who are really just sort of putting out something that was published elsewhere without investigating it, mm -hmm. um, putting stuff out that is of, of dubious repute. That, that that should not do as well as as something that is you know, thoroughly researched or produced within an inch of its life, like a lot of our video is. Uh, and and you know that is something that is encouraging to see happening within the larger ecosystem, whether it's coming from Facebook or private foundation. Love that, love that. So last question, uh, you know, what do you think the future of marketing holds? I think that the the future of marketing is up in the air right now. I mean, like there, there's a, a sense in which I could give you my, my true pessimistic answer, <laughs> which is to say that I, I think a lot of, a lot of the work that um, specifically creative agencies have been doing over the past 50, 100 years mm -hmm. is probably going to change in fundamental ways that are probably not for the better. Not for the better of creative, certainly not for the better of, of agencies, in that uh, A-B testing and personalization are, are more important now than they have ever been in the past. I, I think we're in the midst of uh, a, a, large, a, large, a larger effort to work on research across our sites and to think about how and when we display different kinds of articles to users. I know that there are large media companies that are, are working similarly to sort of personalize the experience of, of a news site or of an entertainment site to give you, you know, what it is that will keep you on site or in the app for another incremental five minutes. That same technology is is being used on the the marketing side to kind of wring out most of the creativity from the the process of creating ads. Programmatic creative, I think, is something that is super duper promising, but also kind of terrifying for exactly the same reason. Over time, I I can't see how that same approach doesn't sort of move upstream from just creating banner creative to creating video from creating video to creating, you know, eventually editorial content to some extent mm -hmm. using that same process. And, you know, where that happens in consultation, at least in the, the news context or the media context with editorial participation, I think that could be super exciting, could add value to the experience for consumers, but where that happens either you know, where a marketing team is is sort of driving that process or where an agency is is just dumping 500 heads and subheads in a couple thousand images into uh, 
into a machine and, and churning out 100,000 ads to test against different segments, it probably will lead to work that is relatively boring. It'll probably lead to an ecosystem that is relatively boring. So I think it's up to you know marketers in the field to figure out how to use these technologies without going for the the obvious highest highest return on investment answer which which will probably be an answer that um that is boring <laughs> well it's fascinating it's fascinating oh, well i think in that in that storyline the onion is is fairly safe at least my limited naive understanding of ai is that it still can't understand sarcasm Oh no, we've we've invested a couple hundred million dollars into joke writing robots. Uh, I don't want that to get out, so we should probably edit it out. But, okay. Yeah, it's 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 you know most of the money that that Univision has put in, we've we've you know got directly into joke writing robots. <laughs> that was a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Marketing Today is brought to you by Atomic. Atomic focuses on unleashing the growth potential for clients we serve. Atomic is a strategic consultancy specializing in business, marketing, brand, and innovation. Our singular goal is to help you accelerate your efforts with the right mix of expertise, analysis, and creativity. Check us out at Atomic.com. A-T-O-M-C-K.com. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with project management by Sarah Williams, audio production by Aaron Campbell, writing and editing by Kevin Greeley, social media support by Megan Woods, art and graphic design by Sarah Dell. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. We love to hear from listeners at info at atomic, A-T-O-M-C-K dot com. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.